Hey, we have birds. So they're extremely distracting. They distract me, they distract you. So let's all just agree. They're outside, they're not inside the building. We won't see any of them fly through the building today. Uh, I believe they're building a nest in the gutter, but it's quite loud. So uh, if you could all just agree with me that we're just going to ignore that and let the Word of God speak to us. Can we do that? All right. Let me start with a word of prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for birds and all the things that you've created. And I just pray that this morning, Lord God, you would allow me to speak your word, not my own. These people of your, your people here, Lord, this morning didn't come to hear a man speak. They came here to hear you speak. And so I pray that you would do so through my words. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so this morning we're continuing in our study of Second Peter. Uh, so if you've got a second, you can turn your Bibles. But before there, I have to tell a little bit about crimes and about eyewitnesses. So about a year ago, my daughter uh, had a crime in her neighborhood. She was woken up at about 4 o'clock in the morning by some pounding on the door. And you know what happens at 4 o'clock in the morning when you hear that kind of sound. Your heart races, you jump out of bed, what's going on? Well, she opened the door, and there was a police officer standing there. And in the driveway was a squad car with a little blue light slowly flashing. And she was quite alarmed. And the police officer said, uh, sorry to bother you, ma'am, but we've gotten a 911 call from someone who said they saw some young people running through your neighborhood wildly. She said, oh, wow. She said, but it's okay. I came to this scene and I was able to apprehend them. In fact, I have three of them. I found them in your front yard and I think they're up to something bad but I don't know who they are. They won't talk to me. They're in the car, and I was wondering, because you live here and they caught them in your front yard, maybe you know them. So could you come with me? And they're in the back seat of my squad car. So she went uh, down out there to see them, and, and sure enough, she could identify them. And we have some photos of them this morning. Dangerous criminals, 4 o'clock in the morning. For those of you who don't know who these are, these are my grandchildren. My daughter, my daughter Jocelyn has adopted them. And sure enough, at 4 o'clock in the morning, they had um, escaped and were running, <laughs> they were running wildly in the streets. So they were apprehended, they were booked, and uh, <laughs> charges uh, were filed. They were accused of escaping beyond the curfew and eating popsicles without permission, <laughs> which are both misdemeanors. But the point is, and there is no point actually, the point is that they were not convicted because there were no reliable eyewitnesses. There were three witnesses, but none of them were reliable. But on a more serious note, take that down, thank you. <laughs> I did that with my daughter's permission. They did not get booked, trust me. But they were out at 4 o'clock in the morning eating popsicles running wild in the streets. On a more serious note, about two weeks ago, I was called down to Harris County Criminal Courts to be a juror. And the case was interesting. It was basically two drug dealers got into an argument with each other. Uh, it turned into fisticuffs. Uh, one of them, not sure which one, pulled a gun and shot the other one twice. He died at the scene. The other one uh, ran, and the gun disappeared. And 12 jurors were asked to sort it out. 
So we had this whole stream of witnesses. There were about eight of them that came into the courtroom. We even had five hours of testimony from the defendant, and it was an assortment of people. It was family members, it was neighbors, police officers, a couple of detectives. And so we got four days of testimony. And repeatedly, the attorneys would ask the witnesses, what did you see or what did you hear? And, of course, they would answer that. But every now and then, one of the witnesses would say something like, well, I heard my mother say, or they would say, uh, well, I'm not sure, but so-and-so told me later that, and immediately, that would elicit a response from one of the lawyers, objection, Your Honor, hearsay. And the witness, of course, each time would get a little bit startled. And, of course, the judge and the lawyers knew exactly what was going on because hearsay is rumor. It's basically evidence that's not based on firsthand knowledge of the witness, but it's something that they heard from someone else who said something when they weren't under oath. And so hearsay is not very popular. Lawyers and judges don't like it. The judge would instruct the witness, only tell us what you saw or you heard. Don't tell us what somebody else told you. Because everybody wants an eyewitness. An eyewitness is one who testifies what he saw or experienced through his own senses. The term eyewitness is actually a term that's not only used to what you see, but also to what you might hear or what you might taste or what you might smell or what you might touch or feel. So, But an eyewitness is best. I saw it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears. It's the best. And, of course, the event that you witness doesn't necessarily have to be a crime. Eyewitness is good in many different events. If you were to go to a movie, you'd much rather watch the movie and see it with your own eyes, hear it with your own ears, and have someone tell you about it later. Similarly, you go to a rock concert, and even though they may have recorded that rock concert and you can buy the CD and listen to it at home, the experience of being there and seeing and hearing and feeling the bass against your body is different than simply listening to a recording a week or two later. And so we hear a funny story. It's always better if you were there for the funny story. That's where we get the phrase, well, you kind of had to be there, right? And so it's always best if you get an eyewitness account firsthand. So we're going to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, and we're going to cover the last six verses of chapter 1. And you'll see that the eyewitness, the idea of an eyewitness is important in Peter's writing here in this section. Now, before we get to that, we're going to do 16 through 21. Before we get to that, I just want to give you a little bit of review. Peter has said in his letter that he's going to die soon. We're not exactly sure how he knows that, but he expects to die soon. And what he says is that he would like to leave a legacy behind. And Bear talked about this last week in his sermon. A legacy is something that you leave behind, not money necessarily, but it's usually something more important than that, something that's more more enduring than money. It could be an action. It could be a character trait. It could be some experiences that you've had uh, or some quality that you want to pass on to others after you're gone. And so Peter uh, has said he's going to die soon. He wants to leave behind a legacy. And what is his legacy? He wants them to remember. In verse uh, 12, he says, I want to remind you. And in verse 13, he says, I want to stir you up by way of reminder And then in verse 15, he says, And I will make every effort so that after my departure, it is after I die, you may be able at any time to recall these things. 
So what is it that Peter wants them to recall? Well, he gives us a little bit of hint in verse uh, 15 or in verse 12 when he says, uh, Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have. So I think what, what Peter was trying to say is that when I leave, when I'm gone, after I die, I want you to be able to remember. I want you to be able to remember the truth. The truth about, well, well the truth about Jesus. To be able to remember, to recall it. Because Peter had told them about Jesus. He told them about that Jesus was the Son of God and that he came, became a man and came down to earth. He told them that he, uh, a lot of the teachings that, that Jesus shared with, with Peter and the other apostles while he was still with them. He told them about Jesus' death. He told them about Jesus' resurrection. He told them about Jesus' ascension into heaven. And he told them that Jesus was coming back. And Peter's, Peter's legacy, what he wants to leave behind after he dies, is this remembrance of all those things that are true. And so that's the background. And so with that background, let's go into chapter uh, 1 of, for, of 2 Peter, uh, starting in verse 16. Peter writes, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father... And the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. So what's Peter saying? He's saying, well, look, guys, our testimony is not hearsay. We are eyewitnesses. We saw Jesus. We listened to him. We walked with him. We prayed with him. We saw him die. We saw him after he rose from the dead. We saw him ascend into heaven. We were eyewitnesses. We were there. We saw it with our own eyes. We heard it with our own ears. And then Peter gives us one key event, which I'll call the transfiguration of Jesus. One key event to demonstrate that. And he gives us a bit of the details. That's what the rest of those verses are about. Now, what I want to do is I want to give you a bit more detail. Let's run back and get the full story. Matthew, Mark, and Luke recorded the transfiguration of Jesus in their Gospels. But I just want to just, let's go back to Matthew and just read it just to get a bit more, more flavor. So we're looking at Matthew uh, chapter 16. It begins in verse 28 and it runs all the way through verse 5 of chapter 17. So, backing up into verse 28 of chapter 16, this is Jesus talking. Jesus says, truly, he's speaking to his disciples, truly I say to you, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he, that is Jesus, was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking to him. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, three things happened here in this account. Three things happened. He went up on the mountain. The first thing that happened was Jesus was transfigured. Transfigured. What it means is that Jesus' appearance was changed dramatically. And Jesus began to glow. 
his face started to glow. And it says that his clothes became radiant, intensely white. Not because something happened to the clothes themselves, but because Jesus' glory and his radiant glory was shining out from his entire body through his clothes and making his clothes appear as though they were, they were, they were light themselves. And so they appeared to the apostles and to Peter, James, and John as dazzling white. Now, why did Peter take them up there? Well, it tells us why in the, in the last verse of chapter 28, where he says, Soon some of you will see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Coming in his kingdom is, is a clear reference to Jesus' second coming. And so basically what, what Jesus was telling these guys is, Soon some of you guys are going to get a preview of my second coming. And that's exactly what they got. So when they went up on the mountain, they got a preview of Jesus' second coming. The preview they got was they got a preview of Jesus' glory. Because when Jesus came the first time, he came as a little baby born in a humble way in a little manger. But when he comes back the second time, he's coming in all of his glory. He's coming in triumph. And Jesus wanted to take these three guys up on the mountain and show them that preview. And they got it. They got it. And for a few moments up there on the mountain, the true radiance and glory of Jesus as God, shined for these guys to see. And they got a preview of what Jesus is going to look like when he comes back again. And that's the story that Peter's talking about this morning. The second thing that happened was Elijah and Moses were there. And it says that they were talking. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us what they were talking about, but if you flipped forward, you see that Luke does. He tells us that Moses and Elijah were talking about Jesus' resurrection, which would happen soon. And the third thing that happened was that God spoke. God showed up in a cloud and spoke audibly and clearly and said, This is my son. So Peter now, he's writing this in his letter to the church. Why does he choose the transfiguration as a good example of his eyewitness? Because Jesus and Peter walked for three years... In their ministry, Peter could have chosen any number of things that he eyewitnessed. He could have chosen his, his death. He could have chosen any one of his miracles. He could have chosen bringing Lazarus back from the dead. He could have chosen his resurrection. He could have chosen his ascension. He decides to choose the transfiguration. I ask myself, why? Well, I think it's because the transfiguration confirmed three essential truths that Peter wanted them to remember. His legacy, remember, is he wants these people to remember. What does he want them to remember? Well, I think there's at least three things here that Peter wants them to remember, and they were demonstrated in the transfiguration. The first thing is that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Son of God. And Peter found that out by an eyewitness of God speaking. Peter was there. He saw the cloud. He heard the voice with his own ears. The second thing that the transfiguration confirmed is that Jesus is going to rise from the dead. Moses and Elijah were talking about it. Peter was there. He heard it. He saw the guys. Jesus was going to rise from the dead. And the third thing that the transfiguration concerned, and most importantly, is why, why Peter wanted to talk about this, is that it confirmed that Jesus is going to come again. He's going to come again a second time in the future in glory. Not the way he came the first time. And Peter says, I was there. I was eyewitness. I got the preview. And part of the reason I think that Peter used this as an example is because there were some false teachers hanging around in the neighborhood. 
We'll talk about this some more next week and in a few weeks to come. But one of the things that the false teachers were saying is that they were saying that Jesus is not coming back. He's he's coming. These false teachers, if you, if you were to flip ahead, don't have to go there. I'll just read it for you. In, in chapter 3, we're going to come to this in a few weeks. In Peter's letter, he says that there were some scoffers uh, were coming. And they were saying, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They were saying, look, it's been 30 years since Jesus ascended into heaven. What's going on? 30 years. He's not coming. He's not coming. He's not coming back. And Peter says, wrong. He says, I saw a preview. I saw it with my own eyes. Now let's go back and read what he wrote in, in 16 through 18 again. Second Peter verse, uh, chapter 1, 16 says, For we didn't follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and glory, uh, power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was borne to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. And so Peter is saying, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, just like he said. I saw the preview on the mountain. I was an eyewitness. Believe me, it's true. I'm not making this up. My testimony is true. And furthermore, Peter said, and furthermore, we have the scriptures. Moving on to, to verse 19 now. He says, and we have something more sure, Peter writes. The prophetic word to which you would do well to pay attention is to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So we have to pick that apart a little bit. So what does he mean when he says we have something more sure, the prophetic word? Well, first of all, the prophetic word is just another way of saying those prophecies in the Old Testament that talked about and predicted that Jesus was coming back a second time. Prophecies like Daniel chapter 7 and Isaiah chapter 50 and Malachi chapter 4. They're clear references not to Jesus' first coming as a man, but to his second coming in glory. And so I don't think that Peter is saying that the prophetic word, that is those prophecies, are more sure than Peter's own eyewitness account. I don't think he's saying that. It could be saying that, but I don't think so, because that's the whole point of, of Peter mentioning the eyewitness account in the first place is to say, eyewitness, I was an eyewitness, that was, that was certain, that was sure. It was valid. So I, so I don't think he would say that, that it's, uh, it's, this prophetic word is, is, is better than that. Now, I think what he's saying is he's saying we have something that's more sure, the prophetic word. I think he means is that the prophecies about the second coming are more certain in our minds than they ever were before. Now, all of Scripture is true. Peter knows this. But before the transfiguration, before he got this preview of Jesus coming back, he had to take it on faith that these Old Testament prophecies about Jesus coming back were true. But now, having seen this live preview of Jesus' second coming, Peter's saying, because of that, it's now more sure. I am now more certain about the prophecies of Jesus coming back. So that's good. But what about all those other truths that Peter 
had shown and told to the people of these congregations? Well, Peter says we have the prophetic word, that is, the scriptures, our Bibles. It says you would do well to pay attention to that prophetic word, to the scriptures, is to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So, until the day dawns, that's a clear reference to Jesus' second coming. And this idea about the morning star, well, that's Jesus himself. If you look at Revelation chapter 22, verse 16, Jesus calls himself the bright morning star. So what Peter's saying here is, is let's pay attention to Scripture until Jesus comes back. Now, how should we pay attention? He says, well, we should pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. So we all have this experience. We walk into a dark room in our homes, and what's the first thing we do? We go back out to the garage and we get a flashlight. No, we flip the switch and turn the light on. If you're in the woods at night, a moonless night, you want to have a lamp or a lantern or light. Because without it, you're going to trip, you're going to fall, you don't know where to go, you're going to get lost. And so we all know what it's like to experience a lamp and how helpful that is. In our Bibles, dark and light is a very common metaphor. We see it all over our Bibles. Evil and ignorance and guilt and misery are expressed as dark. God, on the other hand, is light. Jesus is the light of the world. In our Bibles, that is the word of God, is referred to as light or lamp. Psalm 112. 19, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and light to my path. A little later in verse 130, it says, The unfolding of your words gives light. It imparts understanding to the simple. The fact is that we live in a dark world. There's evil all around us. People are not good. They are radically depraved. It's a biblical concept. All around us in our world today, we see it. Sin, evil, injustice, greed, selfishness, ignorance, guilt, misery. And this week was a graphic reminder of that, wasn't it? This was a bad week. We got two bombs at the Boston Marathon. We got some crazy man impersonating Elvis in his spare time, but what he really wants to do is send poison letters to the White House. And then we've got a small town called West Texas that no one's ever heard of. It's nearly obliterated off the map by an explosion all in one week. The fact is that we live in a dark place. And what Peter says is, against that, we have the Scriptures, the prophetic word, which is like a lamp and it shines. And Peter tells us to pay attention to it like a lamp until Jesus comes back. And then he explains why we should pay attention to Scripture. Peter wants to make sure that his readers know that this lamp that you should pay attention to is trustworthy. You can rely on it. And so he goes on in verse 20, uh, in 21 of Second Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 20. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but... 
men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Pay attention, Peter says, to Scripture, knowing this first of all, or of primary importance, so you know something important is going to follow. And he says, no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. Now, I have to expand on that a little bit. What does that mean? No prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. Well, I have to confess that there are three primary ways in this, which this verse has been interpreted. One is heresy, and two are okay. The first one, which is heresy, says that this verse means that we, men and women, should not read or interpret the Scriptures by ourselves. It's the Roman Catholic view. It's heresy. There is no validity to it. For many, many years, the Roman Catholic Church said that verse says that you're not able and shouldn't interpret scriptures. You need the church leaders to read it and interpret it for you. And it just doesn't have any validity. The fact is that scripture is God's communication to us. If God is speaking to us, he's speaking to us. He's spoken to all people, people like you and me, not just to popes and archbishops, not just to theologians and seminary students. And we are called in our Bibles to read it and to apply it and to learn it and to interpret it. So it doesn't mean that. The second interpretation, no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation, would say something like we should not twist our Bibles and interpret it in the way that suits us. That is our own interpretation. So, we shouldn't interpret Scripture to our own liking. Now, that's true. We shouldn't do that. But I don't think in the context that this is what Peter's saying. I think in the context of what Peter's saying, he's saying this isn't really about interpretation at all. This is all about origination. It's asking the questions, look, I've just told you to pay attention to the Scriptures as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Now I'm going to tell you why. I'm going to tell you where it comes from. It's talking about the origination of Scripture, not so much about the interpretation. So it's answering the question, where did our our scriptures come from? Where did it originate? How was it produced? How did it come about? Now, the word interpretation is in there. You'll see it. It's in all the translations. The tricky part about it is that the Greek word for that isn't shown anywhere else in our New Testament. So we're not able to compare its usage in different places in our New Testament. The literal interpretation of that Greek word is to mean an, an unloosening or an untying or an unleashing. So another way to read that would say, would say that Scripture was not untied or unleashed by man. And that's consistent with the very next portion of his sentence where it says it was not produced by the will of man. So I think what Peter's trying to say is, look, Scripture wasn't something that man made up. It wasn't originated by him. It wasn't produced by him. Well, that's fine. That's the negative part of it. That's, not, that's, not, that's how it did not originate. How did it originate? Peter tells us very clearly in the very next portion here. He says, he says uh, Men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke and wrote God's words. That's where we get our scripture. And he says that they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And this term carried along is a, is a nautical term that's used to, to describe how the wind will fill the sails of a ship and carry it along across the ocean. And so we have this idea of, of wind being carried along by the Holy Spirit. 
And that's consistent with other scripture. For example, 2 Peter 3.16, which many of you will have memorized, is a very fundamental piece of scripture. It tells us where scripture came from. It says, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. So if I keep talking, eventually I have to stop and do what? (sighs) Take a breath. Because as I'm speaking, I am exhaling, I'm breathing out. And it's the same thing that that, that Paul describes in Scripture. That God breathed out the words of Scripture into the man who then wrote it down. And so that's the picture that we have of breathed out. It's the same idea of breathing into some sails from the Holy Spirit and carrying them along. So Peter's very clear about where our Scripture comes from. So let's go back. Read it again now. 2 Peter Chapter 1, verse 20 says, Knowing this, first of all, this is important, he says, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. It wasn't originated by them. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so Peter says, says know this, it's important. Remember, he's, he's got this legacy. It's important, he says. Scripture wasn't untied or unleashed by men. Men didn't originate it. They didn't produce it. Men spoke God's words. God breathed the words into them as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so the result is that the words of Scripture are God's very words. The Bible that you read is God's direct communication to you. It is God speaking to us. So let's go back to the 30,000-foot view for just a second then. Peter says, I'm dying. I want to leave a legacy. I want you to remember. I want you to remember the truths that I told you about Jesus, about God, about the gospel. Jesus is coming back. I saw the preview myself. I was there. I was an eyewitness. Jesus is coming back. Don't let anybody tell you Jesus is not coming back. He's coming back. Jesus said he was coming back. I saw the preview. He's coming back. The prophetic words about Jesus' return are now more certain in my mind because I saw the preview. And then he says, Scripture is trustworthy. Man didn't make it up. Men spoke from God. As they were carried along by the Holy Spirit, God breathed into them, and therefore Scripture is the very word of God, God speaking to us. And then Peter's charge to his readers and to us is relatively straightforward. Pay attention to it. Pay attention to it as to a lamp shining in a dark place. Scripture. Our Bibles. Peter says we should want to read it. We should want to study it. We want our minds to understand it. We want our hearts to believe it. We want our wills to be conformed to it. We want our actions and our motives and our desires and our thoughts to be aligned with it. We want to pattern our lives around it and we want to remember it. That's Peter's legacy. It's simple, but it's profound. Remember the truth. How do you remember the truth? Pay attention to your word. Pay attention to the prophetic word of God. Let's pray.
Lord God, your, lamp, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. The unfounding of your words gives light and imparts understanding to the simple. Your sacred writings are able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Your word is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of our hearts. Your word is able to make us wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scriptures breathed out by you, O God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. Your word is like fire and like a hammer that breaks the rock in pieces. The sum of your word is truth, and every one of your righteous rules endures forever. Your words are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, in keeping them there is great reward. Your word goes out from your mouth, it shall not return to you empty, but it shall accomplish that which you purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which you sent it. The grass withers, the flower fades, but your word, O God, will stand forever. The words that you have spoken to us are spirit and life. We thank you, O God, constantly for this, that when we received your word, we accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God. The words that you have commanded us, O God, shall be on our hearts. We shall teach them diligently to our children and shall talk of them when we sit in our houses. We walk by the way. When we lie down and when we rise, we shall bind them as a sign on our hands, and they shall be as frontlets between our eyes. We shall write them on the doorposts of our houses and on our gates. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. We humbly receive your word planted in us, which is able to save our souls. Let us be doers of your word and not hearers only deceiving ourselves. We will take to heart all the words by which you warn us today that we may command them to our children, that we may be careful to do all the words of your law, for it is no empty word for us but our very life. Whoever keeps your word in him truly, your love, O God, is perfected. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from your mouth, O Lord. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance... And through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. If we abide in your word, we are truly Christ's disciples, and we know the truth. The truth will set us free. We will do well to pay attention to your prophetic word as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in our hearts, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from you, O God, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for your indescribable, inexpressible gift. Amen.